that our hearts would be tender and open to hear what you have for us, Lord. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully you've been having a good week. Uh, this last Saturday, I, uh, I was with our high school and middle school students uh, at Grit Obstacle Training Gym. I uh, tried a couple of things, and while within 10 minutes, I figured out that I am weak. Uh, so many of our students, they... Uh, they climbed up the ropes, they did the rings, they took on the climbing wall, they did all the different obstacles that were there. They were just, they were going after it and after it. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, me, I could barely do this pendulum thing where you go up and kind of pendulum down and try to do these ramp things around. And it was like, oh, this is bad. This is not good. You know, I grabbed the hold of this rope thing. And you're supposed to swing out, you know, and it's like, and I slipped down. I couldn't even hold on to the rope. And, and it was like, oh, no, this is not good. I, I, I feel so weak. Well, uh, this week I've been back in the gym. And I've been at the circuit trainer and, you know, and uh, I've been on that recumbent bike and, uh, Man, you know, I, I was over at that gym. I said, Where, where's the treadmill? There's no treadmill. You know, so. And, you know, have you ever been there? You know, you've just been there and you just feel so weak. You know, what I, uh, what I experienced there at GRIT was a physical weakness. And I need to get back in the gym and work on that. But have you ever... Have you ever been in a situation where, a personal situation where you're called on to respond, act in a particular way, and well, you just couldn't do it? It's like, oh, I can't do this. In my first uh, youth pastor ministry when I was a youth pastor, this is some like 33 years ago. I'm thinking, whoa, that's impossible. But, I, you know, in this ministry, it was my first youth ministry. Uh, we had uh, a death in the church, and, uh, and so the senior pastor, Tom, he was going to do the, do the service, and it was at the funeral home, and so we're at the office during the day, and, and so uh, he goes, hey, I'm heading off to the thing, I'll see you there at the funeral home. He, he jumps his car, and he travels on his way to the funeral home, and he goes one way, and about 10, 15 minutes later, I jump in the car, my car, I should say, and I go a different way, and uh, and you, you can get to the funeral home to a, a different way. Well, when I arrive there, there's just this commotion and like, oh, no, and everything's, and then they see me and they go, oh, good, you're here. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Come to find out, my senior pastor was in an auto accident on his way to the funeral. And it was a serious one. He fractured his neck. He was out of commission for over a year. Had to have one of these halos. He, he done, you know, they screw into the side of your head, hold his neck in place. He had to go into a, a neck brace. And, and he was in an ambulance on his way to the hospital. And they look at me. The funeral director looks at me. And he says, oh, good. You can do the service. And I look at him and I say, What? What do you mean? I've never done a funeral service before. I, uh, 
you know, so much for my college education. You know, and it's like, I've never done, you know, and I, you know, I'm just like, oh, no, you know, what am I going to do? And he, and he goes, and, and, and I go, no way, I can't do this. And just fear and terror just began to consume me in this moment. And uh, it was just like, oh, no, no, no. And he had already had a guy there from the church down the road. And the guy goes, yeah, you're doing it, man. And it's like, no, please. And, so I, 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 you know, and I started to try to think of a passage that I might use. My, my mind went blank. You ever been there? The mind goes blank. And it's like, I'm freezing. And I'm thinking, oh. And so I turned to this guy and said, he goes, can you do it, man? I've never done it. You know, I, I don't know. I don't even know where to stop. And he looks at me and he goes, okay, I'll do it. But you're going to welcome everybody and pray. Okay, I can do that, man. I was just so, you know, young, inexperienced. It was like, oh, man. So I got up. I prayed. I um, welcomed everybody. And I sat down and he got up into the service. And I tell you, have you ever been in a situation like that where you feel so inept, like a failure, so weak, you think, I am so, so incapable? Oh. Been there? Yeah. Maybe you got something that's come to your mind and you're starting to think, yeah, I can relate. Some of you out there might say, oh, come on, toughen up, Manzer, right? But have you ever been there? But I want to challenge you with this thought. Have you, have you ever considered that maybe God has allowed weakness in your life? That, that the, weakness that, the weaknesses that maybe you and I struggle with has a purpose for our lives. You know, our culture, you know, when you think about it, our culture is, it's so, you know, built around strength and power and, and showing the world how strong you are and minimizing what they will see in regards to your weaknesses. You know, we don't want to look weak, right? We want to look strong. We want the world to see the our, our, our capabilities and our and who we are and and you know it's it's easy it's easy for us to see our strength as assets but it's most natural to consider our weaknesses as liabilities they're deficiencies right they're 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 things that need to be well covered up and so as we continue in our series here of of uh, uh, called the book of upside down here in 2 Corinthians, we find, we, we find the Apostle Paul defending his apostleship. And uh, Pastor Brent introduced this last week. And, uh, we, and, and as he begins to defend his apostleship, we come to this chapter that we're going to look at today, chapter 12. And we find the Apostle Paul defending himself by pointing out his weaknesses. He... He, now, just as a reminder, uh, uh, just what was highlighted last week, there was a shift in the content. 
uh, up to this point as we look at these upside downs of what Paul presents. But there's a, a shift that takes place in chapter 10 and, and goes on through chapter 13. And Paul, here he reluctantly chooses to defend his apostleship because of the opposition that is coming from some leaders that had kind of risen in the Corinthian church. And he's, he's, he's facing some negative uh, you know, uh, uh, opposition that, that's, that's going on there. He's been under attack. He's been undermined as a leader. He's saying, Paul, he can't even speak. He, you know, look at him. He just writes a bunch of letters, gets mad at you, and all this kind of stuff. And so these leaders, they were trying to discredit him. But here's the thing. They're also trying to spread some false doctrine. They're looking to un really undermine and, and teach a false teaching there in that church. And so this bothers Paul. And so he, he, says, he has to go on the defense. He has to say, hold on a second, because of his heart for the church and his, his desire to protect the church from the false teachings. And last week we worked through chapter 10. How Paul looked to confront. And just to highlight some of those things, we saw that Paul stood his ground. He tried not to make it personal. He adopted a posture of humility. He refused to play the power game. He worked to know the truth. He worked to bring out the truth. And he let God be God in the situation. And we see that. And that was the application for us as we looked at confrontation. I don't know if maybe you got an opportunity to use that this week. Anybody have any conflicts? Don't raise your hand. Yeah. And maybe you had to come back to some of those truths. Now, in chapter 11, we see him pointing out some false teachers. And Brent's going to, he's going to come back to that, parts of that next week, and then jump ahead to the last part of chapter 12. But uh, I just want to highlight a couple things that went on in chapter Chapter 11, because they set up where, where I'm going to land here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And so we see him kind of pointing out. He goes after these false teachers in particular in verses 1 through 15. Then in 16 through 33, he goes back to defending his apostleship in comparison to these false teachers by boasting. And he, he boasts, and the reason he uses the word boast here. It's because that's exactly what they're doing. Well, if they got to boast, I guess I got to boast, all right, in that regards. So he, but here he begins to boast about the things he has suffered through, uh, because he has gone through because he, call, he was called to be a servant of God, a servant of Jesus Christ, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at what it says. So let's go, jump back to chapter 11 in your copy of the Word of God, of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to jump in at verse 23. And it says, are they servants of Christ? It's a, a question he's throwing out as he writes to them. He goes, are they servants of Christ? He's, he's questioning them because he just confronted them as, as false apostles, false teachers. He goes, and then he, he kind of a subconscious thing he, he writes, goes, I'm out of my mind to be talked like this. But he goes, 
I need more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with, with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger... Um, from false brothers, he kind of gets a dig back there a little bit. He goes, verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He goes, who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? He goes, and, and I do not inwardly burn. I struggle with sins too. If, if I must boast, he goes though, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And here we got this, this, this reality. is almost like this paradox of understanding. Like, hold on a second. You're going to boast in your weaknesses? How's that work? And then he goes here in the chapter 12, where we're going to kind of spend most of our time, well, we are going to spend the rest of our time, in chapter 12 this morning. He's talking about his weaknesses. But he starts by, by telling this about this incredible experience he had of being caught up into paradise, where he heard an inexpressible things and he couldn't, that he can't even speak about. He even writes about it in a reluctant way. He relates because he doesn't want to boast. So he refers to him as he writes this. He, he refers to himself in the third person. Yeah, obviously from, from the context, you say, no, he's actually writing about himself. Because then he switches back into the first person later on in the text. So let's look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and start with verse 1. Let's just kind of work, look at what he writes. He goes, I must go on boasting. He goes, okay, I must go on boasting. This is what they're going to do. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I'll, all right, there's nothing to be gained from this. This is not what I want to do. Verse 2, he goes, I know a man. Then he switches into this third person. They were talking about himself. He goes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. Now Paul had received, if you look at his life and his ministry, and you look at the book of Acts, he has, he, has, he has received a variety of revelations and visions. God spoke in that time, in that period of time, he spoke in great ways to apostles and to leaders of the church, confirming that they were of him. And so he received many revelations throughout his ministry. Six are recorded in the book of Acts. 
Uh, there's others that are recorded in his letters to Galatians and Ephesians. But this revelation, all right, this revelation he has not written about for 14 years. It was so incredible. In fact, he wouldn't even speak of it in, in that regard. It's an experience where he goes, he goes into the dwelling place of God where he refers to it as a third heaven and as paradise. Now, from the Bible, we can come to understand from a reading of the whole context of Scripture, all right, the first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. And you'll see that in a variety of passages referred to the first heaven. The second is interplanetary and interstellar space. That's where the planets, that's the second heaven, where the planets exist. And the Bible describes it that way. And then there's the third of, uh, heaven, and that's the abode of God. And here again, we see it referred to here and other places within Scripture. And this is the place, this is the place that, that Paul experienced incredible vision that he had of God. And he goes, whether it's in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know, but he experienced it. He experienced it. But then he writes that he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Whatever he heard was, he could not even speak of. It was so amazing, so powerful, so incredible. Now think with me with this for, for a moment. It's been 14 years, right? 14 years. That since he's experienced this, this paradise, and he's heard these incredible things, and now, only, only now is he willing to write about them, and he writes about them in the third person. You have to ask, why? Why now, after 14 years? Well, before we answer that question, let's read on. So look back at the text, chapter 12, verse 5 now. He says, I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. He goes, hey, you know, if we're going to boast, I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast about my weakness. Verse 6, he goes, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. He goes, this is the truth. I experienced this. But I refrain, he says, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do and Say And so he shifts here the focus. See, Paul recognizes that as a man, he could boast. He could do that. As, as the experience he had was certainly boastworthy. Yet, despite this incredible experience Paul had, he explains that he, he wants people to take his ministry at face value. He doesn't want to have to defend it by citing some experience, but by how he has been faithful to Jesus in times of suffering, as we see back in chapter 11, and weaknesses that he's now going to speak about. And, and not only, here's the thing, not only was he faithful, but he, he ministered in his weakness. He ministered through them. And so the first truth 
to consider in regarding to turning weaknesses upside down, which is the title of, the, of this message today, is this is that I want to challenge you with. With Jesus, your weakness may be your greatest strength. Think about that. With Jesus, your, your weakness may be your greatest strength. I want to, I want to quote someone. I came across this quote this year, and I thought it was this, this week, I should say. And it was, it's, it's a thought that I would like you to consider by this writer, John Bloom. And this is what it says. It says, God in his providence gives us our weaknesses just as he gives us our strength. In God's economy, where the return on investment he most values is faith working through love, as it says in Galatians chapter 5, Weakness becomes assets. We can even call them talents to be stewarded, to be invested. It may, be even, it may even be that the most valuable asset God has given you to steward is not a strength. And he does give us strengths. I want you to know that. And we need to develop them and grow them. And use them to his glory. But he goes, but the most, I thought God has given you, uh, you a steward, it's, it's not a strength, but, but a weakness. Challenging thought, isn't it? See, with Jesus, your weakness may be your, your greatest strength. And you got to ask, how can it be? How can it be? Well, let's continue on. Let's continue on to see how it was for Paul, all right? So let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. And now he, he, he switches into the first person. So he goes from the third person, switches into the third first person. He goes, now, verse 7, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that he just described, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more God gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here's the second truth I want you to consider here as you look at turning weaknesses upside down. And that is this. With Jesus, weaknesses have a purpose. They have a purpose. Paul's surpassingly great revelations were so incredible that it would have been easy for him to become prideful and conceited about that. He would have been, he would have been, hey, you know, hey, look at me. Look what, I'm like at the right hand of God, right? It would have been that mentality. That would have been easy. Now, you got to remember Paul, his past life before Christ, Paul was, if you remember, he was a Pharisee, right? Right? He was a Pharisee. 
And Pharisees, man, they were very self-righteous. And he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, Scripture says, all right? He writes that about himself. He was a Pharisee. In fact, uh, he had, he, 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 Pharisees don't be self-righteous, prideful in heart. He was so zealous, all right, as a Pharisee in his life before Christ that he would pursue followers of Christ to see that they were thrown into jail and even stoned. He held the jackets when Stephen was stoned and looked on with agreement. He was that kind of guy. He is so, so, so. And so it says God gave him a weakness, and in particular, a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. And so we see with Jesus, weakness has a purpose. God will allow weaknesses in our life, and he gives them purpose. In this case for Paul, the purpose was to keep him from being coming conceited. Now, let's think about weaknesses here just for a moment. What are weaknesses? What is the weakness Paul is, has in mind when he quotes Jesus as saying in verse 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my, and then he goes plural, weaknesses. You see that? And then he, again in verse 10, he says, for the sake, Christ's sake, I delight in, or uh, another way you could say I delight in is I I, uh, I am content with, I'm content with the reality of my weakness, all right? He says, that, or he says weaknesses, he pluralizes it here now. And what he summarizes as weaknesses in verse 9, he expands on there with the use of four other words in verse 10. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Now you think about insults. Insults... Um, that's when people think of ways of uh, making your faith or your commitment to following after Christ ways or your words. They look to make them look stupid or weird, inconsistent. We have that being developed within our culture, right? The, the ridicule, the insult of those who follow after Christ. It's when the world around you laughs at you because you choose to, to be a follower of him and his ways and you are committed to that. Thinks you're weird. And that's insults. And then there's, there's hardships. These are circumstances forced on you. Things out of your control. We all can relate to that, right? And it could be, there's those simple things. But this could refer to really any situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan it that way. That was not the plan, right? That's not where I wanted this to, to go. You ever talk to God about that? I do. God, that wasn't my plan. All right? And yet you have this hardship that he allows in your life. But and, and that's where you're at. And that's, that's just the reality. Then there's, there's persecutions. This is abuses, wounds, painful experiences, even acts of prejudice, exploitation. Because of your Christian faith, that, that you are a follower of his and his ways, and you, you're commit to following and, and striving to uh, obey him. And maybe when you get the raw deal or because of that. And then there's difficulties. And other words for difficulties is distresses, calamities, troubles. It's, it's, it's the idea of, 
of, of, uh, is one of pressure. There's this pressure, there's this stress. And maybe there's things like you, I described earlier where you, you got your own story, okay, where you think, oh man, the pressure is on. I don't know if I can handle this. What's going to happen, you know? And, and, and so there's those things and, that can cause fear in your, your life. I mean, all my stories seem to relate a lot around funerals in, in this area. I, I have another story where, where uh, I was doing a funeral for a biker. And, um, and so uh, he did not love God. He was known to, he's known to hate God. And he was part of the buck, bu- biker, biker club, I guess, in Petoskey. He, uh, he laid his bike down. He died. And his family, they said, hey, you know, could you do a, they did something at the club for him. But can you do something for him? Because there's no, you know. And so I did. I did. I I said, yeah, sure. Can I talk about God? Can I talk about Jesus Christ? Would that be, oh, yeah, sure, you can do that. So I get up. I had a a sermon prepared. And uh, all these bikers come rolling in. They're in their leathers. They're in everything. And uh, they weren't Christ-like ones, okay? They were mean goons. And uh, I'm thinking, I did not dress accordingly for the occasion. And uh, they're, they're there and, and that. And so I get up and some people come up and share different things and, and all that. And so I get up and I say, hey, I want to just talk about how God can bring comfort to you in your life. I got past my fears of doing a funeral. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, I, and uh, God gave me strength. And so I step into this situation, and I'm, there I am. I, I'm sharing about how God can bring comfort to you in, in your situation, and, you know, and, and I wasn't even tying him to Christ or anything like that. His daughter, who just flew in just for this service, comes up, literally comes up, walks up next to me, and says, he would hate that you are speaking this right now. Anything about God, you need to stop. And I says, Okay, and I look out at all these biker dudes, and they're just scowling at me, and they're just like, who are you? And so I, I said, okay, and so I, I stopped, and she went and sat down, and, and so I, uh, I says, I says, in the moment, I says, okay, this is, you know, this is my, this is my difficulty in the moment. <laughs> I says, how, what are you going to do with this guy? I turned to her and I says, hey, can I pray? She says, yes. So I prayed the gospel, you know, and everything in my prayer. And I got out of there as fast as I could. <laughs> Difficulties. Those bikers came over and they were comforting her. That terrible pastor, I can't believe it. You know, they're just ragged, you know. And I thought, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I need to be gone. Can you relate? Hey, those things? Those are difficulties. Now, I think it's important to understand here. I think it's important to understand. These are not results of sins that we may commit, okay? You know, when you, and, and I, I could elaborate more, but I, and I don't have time. But if you, if you, you know, you give a foothold to the enemy, and, and we're all on the journey of faith and walking, but if you, if you, you sin, God will allow some of those consequences. That's not what this is describing, okay? All right, that's the consequence of a sin, all right? That's, you need to understand that, or a wrong choice. Enough said that. But here, Paul, he, he doesn't tell us exactly what his thorn in the flesh is, what he's given, but because of the vision he had of God. 
And it's, it's difficult to know exactly what it was. He calls it even a messenger of Satan. God allowed whatever. But, you know, there's, there's every suggestion that every pastor loves to give their suggestion and what it was for him. You know, uh, it may have been, there's three that I, I think I would highlight with you, and that would be, first of all, it may have been a physical ailment. He is known to have bad eyes, and he, he talks about in different passages of, of writing with large letters, that kind of thing. Uh, Paul spoke of continuing op- opponents. He, had a, he continually had opposition against, and so he may have been referring that these opponents just keep coming up and up and up and, and, uh, against me. Or Paul, he, he, obviously he says the message of Satan, so there may, it may have been a demonic activity in, in that perhaps it was some severe temptation that he was constantly bombarded with. Whatever it was, Paul wanted relief. Uh, you know, we've all had those things, those circumstances where we, we want relief uh, in the situation. We want relief from the things that make us look weak. You know, I don't want to look so weak, God. You know, and it was the same for Paul. He, and he writes there in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But what is Jesus' response to him? Verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is the third truth that I think I like like you as you think about turning weaknesses upside down in your life. With Jesus, we see through our weaknesses that our real strength comes through him. That's when we realize that, hey, I have no strength. That the only strength I really have is as a follower of Christ is going to be through as I follow after Christ and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit in my life. See, Paul understood. He understands this truth that as followers of Jesus, our strength is not in ourselves but is in Christ. Christ alone. When we are weak, we are strong. Because of him who works in and through us. Paul, you know, he had to you know, defend his apostleship, but he didn't, want the, he, didn't, he didn't want the spotlight to be on his own strength and his own experiences and, and all that, what God was doing really. He, he'd, rather be, he'd rather that it be put on focus on the greatness of God, that God is so awesome. He is so great. Look what he's even done with me and my weaknesses. How could that be? Look what he's, he's allowed me to be a part of. And so he, he knew that if people focused on Paul's greatness, then, then, the, then his ministry would be diminished. It'd be misdirected. It may crash and burn. See, he was an apostle, a sent one, to testify of Jesus Christ. Like John the Baptist uh, once said, he must become greater and I must become less, right? He must increase and I must decrease, decrease. And so I leave you with these three action steps in closing. First one is this. Trust God with your weaknesses. Trust God with your weaknesses. Paul stopped protesting his situation 
and began to boast and even take pleasure. Imagine that in his weakness. All right. But he, he was boasting how God empowered him, that Christ could work through him. That's why he says that, that is why for Christ's sake I delight or I take I am content in my weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. And Paul expresses the paradox of his condition, the paradox of his reality, that in his frailty, he's strong because his strength came from Christ and not from himself. Second action step that I would leave you with is, is this. Let God work in and through your weakness. The, the words made perfect in, in, in there in verse 9 mean fully, entirely accomplished. It's, it's that aspect where we are letting God uh, uh, complete us. There's a perfecting aspect that he, we're letting him continue to change us and mold us and, and make, make us into his, his likeness. And so Christ's power is made complete. When we turn to him and rely on him and walk in his spirit and, and, and live by his truth. And then thirdly, it's live in God's sufficient grace to find power in times of weakness. Here's the, this is what it's all about. It's all about God's grace flowing through you. In grace there's power. See, God's grace was sufficient to meet Paul's need because he expressed God's love for him, acceptance for him right where he's at, but where he wanted to lead him and, and, and to do for his glory and for his honor. And, he, and Paul knew that no matter what, no matter what in his weakness, he was loved by God. He was accepted by God. He was liked by God. He says, yes. See, God's grace is sufficient to meet Paul's need because it was available at all times. God's grace is always available to us. Even when we sin or fail, God's grace is there to pick us back up. If we will turn through repentance of that sin and seek to follow him, he, his grace will, you will experience the fullness of his grace in your life. And he will grow you. And, and, and when we come to God by, by faith through his through the blood of Jesus Christ, his grace is ever ready to meet us and to minister to us in our difficulties. See, God's grace is sufficient to meet Paul's need because it was the very strength of God. It's the very strength of God. So much of the power of this world is expressed in things that can bring harm and destruction. We saw this this last week. But God's love shows his power through the goodness, through his goodness and his grace. Grace is not a weak or wimpy thing. It's the power of God, power of God to fulfill what we lack. Every day I got to get up and I got I to set my feet in God's grace and say, God, I desperately need you today, every day. And that's what he calls each one of us as followers of him. As we look to embrace, embrace and trust God with our weaknesses. And then I would leave you with this last thing, and that as the worship team now comes to lead us in a closing song. And I would lead you, I leave you with this last thing, and that would be this. 
look to help others in their weakness. By praying for them and pointing them to God's sufficient grace. Would you stand with me? God, I come now and I I thank you for truth that transforms. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for how you worked in the Apostle Paul's life. And today we, we are able to open the word of God and see you speak to us by our spirit. If we have open hearts, if we have an open mind to by your spirit to speak to us. I know, God, right now in this room, there's, there's people with different things that's going on in their life. And um, they need the grace, your grace, to flow into their life in this moment. Whatever battle they may be facing, whatever insult that may be coming their way, whatever it is. I, God, I just pray that by your spirit, you would speak into them. And they would walk from this place knowing that you are the true and living God who walks with us not only here and gathers with us not only in this room, but you walk with us out to those cars in the parking lot. You go with us to our homes, and, the, and you sit around the table where we have dinner. And, Lord, you go to the schools, and you go to the jobs with us, and you are there constantly ready to give us grace that will empower us to face the difficulties and the persecutions and the insults and the calamity, whatever it may be, and the, the weaknesses, if we will merely turn to you and say, God, I desperately need you. I need you, God. And then walk in faith, trusting you to empower. Lord, there may be someone here today that is they don't, they don't even know what this, the fullness of this grace is to receive in their life because they've never come to that place where they've, 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 they've surrendered their life to you. They've, they've come to that place where they've admitted that they are a sinner. They believe that you died on the cross for them and they are willing now to commit their life, confess you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that they would not leave this place before they come to talk to one of us on the leadership team here, myself, and we can open the, the word of God with them and help them understand the truth that transforms us, but also transforms our weaknesses. And so, Lord, I just pray. Speak to each one as you so need, I ask. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.